0: If you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead, grab them, pull them out. If you don't have a paper Bible, sad, you should bring one. You should bring one. But I want you to go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20. I want to I set some expectations for tonight. I want to set some quick expectations for tonight. Uh, tonight we're going to be jumping into a really, really lighthearted chill. It will be like a five-minute sermon, super chill. Some of you guys are like, let's go. Not actually, five minutes. Tonight we're going to be talking about uh, the flood and eternal judgment. You guys ready for that? Yeah? Super lighthearted. All right, l- listen up. Uh, the reason why we're digging into this and why I want to set some expectations on the front end is this. is Because I believe that, that what I'm preaching on tonight is really, really important. It's really, really crucial. When I think about some of the primary reasons why people walk away from the faith, it often has to do with with struggling with with the idea of like hell or eternal separation from God. Like how can a good God be okay with that? Or you open up the Bible and if you ever read past like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or if you've read before that, you know there are some pretty crazy stories in Scripture that can be really difficult to sort through and to think through, Right? So my invitation to you guys tonight is I want to teach you guys like you are young men and young women. Young women. Not, or there's multiple women in here. Young men, young women. And this is my, my invitation and my expectation for you guys. That you guys carry yourself in maturity tonight. Okay. All right, let me just, if, if you're a freshman in this room, go ahead and raise your hand real quick. If you're a freshman. Freshman, raise your hand. Freshman, raise your hand. Nate Nate Darnell I know you're a freshman raise your hand I know you raise your hand You're, you're a freshman too right yeah raise your hand okay okay freshman listen up to me I know some of you guys you are newer into like being in high school newer to what this looks like I want you guys to look at me and listen very very closely this space, and the reason why we are doing kind of a separate space for junior high and high school is because we want to be able to teach at a more mature level for you guys, right? We like, I believe that you guys are in an age where, I think this is true in junior high, that they are asking big questions and sorting through like, who is God and who am I? And like, hormones are crazy, what even is that? Like, they're going through it, right? But, but the reality is, is like, even now for you guys as high school students, if you were to be honest with yourself, like, like it is really difficult To follow Jesus and love him wholeheartedly in our day and age, right? Like, it it costs you something if you're actually going to follow Jesus. And so I'm really not interested in wasting time and just like, just having a good time. You can have fun in a lot of places. Like, we do have fun here. That's also why you should come to retreat, because it's like 24 hours of fun. It's amazing. But like, but tonight, what I want, I just spit so much. Sorry, guys. You guys are in the spit zone. Be ready. I saw it all coming out. It was raining, It was snow over here. Okay, anyways, I'm tripping. Uh, for tonight, especially tonight, I want you guys to be ready to lean in, to take notes, to, to be ready to engage with this. Because the reality is even if some of the things I'm saying tonight are not new to you, they may be things that you think you believe, but in, in reality like, you really actually struggle with. And, and I'm convinced that like 90% of our walks with Jesus is not like learning new things. Like, you don't open up the Gospels and after years of being a Christian and reading Scripture, you're like, whoa, that happened? Like, you, you've read the stories. But what I want to challenge you to do is, is to really, like, go deeper and ask yourself, like, do I actually believe this? And if I actually believe this, how does this change the way that I live? Are you with me? Are you with me? So I want to challenge you guys, I want you to be mature, I want you to listen closely, I want you guys taking notes. I believe that what we're jumping into is important, okay? So we are doing the separate teaching space for you guys. We want to be able to speak directly to you guys and call you to a higher standard, a higher level. So I need you guys to be with me. Yes, sir? All right, here we go. Let's go ahead and jump into scripture. Revelation 20, starting in verse 11. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, uh, I lost my place, hold on. Were, were in death and Hades gave up the dead who were, with, were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Did I just reread that? I'm tripping. I should just look up at the screen, it's so much bigger. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Next slide, verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Of five. And if, you're, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn backwards towards Genesis, Genesis 6. The very, very beginning. Genesis 6. Starting in verse 5. Genesis, Genesis 6 verse 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Everyone say grieved. And it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created, people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Verse 8 says this, but Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. Let's pray together, friends. Father God, we need you tonight. We need you to come and work deeply in our hearts. Because Lord, the reality is is that following you and hearing your words from Scripture and coming to be in your presence, we, we are never nearly as grateful as we ought to be. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room, including myself. That you would give us a holy fear of you. Not of being scared of you or feeling like we can't, we can't even come to you. You desire a relationship with us. But Lord, a fear that is based on reverence and a deep honor for your holiness. So God, I pray that you would even just, just grab the hearts of, of students in this room and convict us. Lord, where we don't believe you are who you say you are. Would you challenge that inside of us? Lord, where we have questions and wrestlings and doubts, I pray, Lord, that you would enable us and empower us to be able to ask those questions and bring those to you. Not to ignore them, not to act like they're not there, just so we can try to feel like we have faith. We need you, God. Shape us. Jesus, would you give us eyes to see how compassionate you are, how beautiful you are. We believe that you reveal yourself, that you speak to us, that you want to be with us. If that is not true, we're wasting our time. So God, help us to see you, to hear you, and to know you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen, amen. Stories like the flood and and the wars that we see all throughout the Old Testament. and, And even the end times when we think about eternal judgment and eternal punishment. A place called hell can be some really, really difficult things to work through. Have you guys ever struggled with some passages in the Bible before? Be honest here. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you open up Genesis and it doesn't take too long to find out that like you're going to read something that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Actually probably a lot uncomfortable, right? Of like w- this happened. Or like, What in the world is this? Like, like there's a billion things. And, and the reality is that these things can often cause people to walk away from following Jesus. And what I want us to do tonight is as we open up the scriptures, my hope is that we would see what God's heart towards us looks like. Remember, in week one of the series, as we talked about how do we lean into Scripture, especially in difficult books like Genesis and Revelation, and what we talked about is that the reason we open up Scripture is not to be able to be like, like predict when Jesus is going to come back on the exact date, okay? That's not the point of Revelation. The point of Scripture is for us to open it up and say, who is God revealing himself to be? Who is God? That is our simple question. So as we lean in tonight, the question I want us to ask is this. I want you to write this down. Is what is God's disposition towards us? What is God's disposition towards us? And also, what is his disposition towards sin and towards sinners and towards judgment? This word disposition simply means someone's inherent qualities of mind... Or character, their temperament, their nature. Anyone know someone who like their disposition, their like temperament is like, if anyone like even slightly roasts like them or someone close to them, they're ready just to fight anyone. You guys know those people? Br- Braylon was quick. She's like my sibling. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, Ryan, not you, not you. No, like right. like you know those people that's like at the slightest bit of like tension or like maybe that was mean. It's like they're ready to fight and square up. Like they're just like that. Or how many of you guys know like the, the dude Dude, that's like, you definitely got to be from like Cali, surfer dude. It's like, like all, like all, like all the years be breaking loose. It could be crazy. And like, and like you're like, bro, are you okay? Chilling, bro. Chilling. Or it's like, they win a million dollars. Like, bro, that's amazing. And they're like, yeah, bro, chilling. It's good. Right? Like that is someone's like temperament, their disposition. It's is kind of how they carry themselves naturally. And what I want us to ask is, what is God's disposition, his temperament, his nature, towards us. That's what I want to go after tonight. And what I want us to see is that as we open up scripture, as we open up this book and lean into some difficult passages, I want us to see what God's heart is in in judgment. Are you with me? So number one is this. I want you to write this down. Number one, there's going to be three simple points tonight. Number one is that God does not delight in damnation. Some of y'all... The amount of heads I just looked up, that's not a cuss word. That's an actual word, fun fact, okay. Don't don't go home and say Pastor Mateo's cussing if you want me to be a youth pastor. And if you don't want me to be a youth pastor, don't say that because that's a lie, okay. But God does not delight in damnation, in sentencing someone to eternity away from him. God does not delight in this. I think sometimes if we were to be honest with ourselves, when we open up this book and and we like hear Jesus' words about the end times or we open up Revelation or we we even see passages like the flood, what we can often think is that God is like a really cranky old man watching out for anyone that's going to like step on his lawn, right? Like he's sitting there in his rocker and he's like, don't do it. Oh, there's a kid coming, like, I'm about to yell at him. Like, like Just like, like God is this cranky old dude. My, my dad used to tell my siblings and I this story about this woman named Mrs. Louie. Everyone say Mrs. Louie. Yeah, Mrs. Louie. Okay, so my dad grew up in San Antonio in this, in this cul-de-sac and, and in the neighborhood there's a ton of kids and they come and I'd play street football or I'd play basketball, all of the good sports. But the problem was is that a lot of these sports, it was really easy for like a ball to go over the fence into Mrs. Louie's yard. And, and the reason why this was such a problem, maybe you have a neighbor like this. If so, I'm sorry, I grieve with you. But if you have a neighbor like this, what Mrs. Louie would do is, is if a ball went over the fence and landed in her yard, she would grab it, come out the front door with a needle to make sure all the kids could see it and just... And just destroy the ball right like like y'all know like that's that's messed up it's like it's like some people just want to see the world like burn it's like mrs Louie, what is your deal like like see what, like jesus angry like woman that's just like my life sucks your life is going to suck too you know, it's like, it's terrible. Like, imagine, like, eight-year-old my dad. It, like, probably, like, the cutest, like, little kid ever with, like, massive ears. That's my dad. Like, imagine, like, like the, the, the weeping he would feel of, like, my basketball is gone because of Mrs. Louie. Right? And I think if we were to be honest with ourselves, that's how we think God is towards us. That his, his resting state is like he is really easily agitated. Like you are just on the last nerve all the time. You say something bad. You treat your sibling bad. You do anything, and God is quick to put the foot down and say, "I'm done with you." We think that that He delights in judgment and punishment, but I want us to open up Scripture and to see that this is not the case. How about we look at a very familiar passage, John three sixteen? Y'all know John three sixteen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. John three sixteen. For God so. Uh, you can do the whole thing. That he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not, would not perish, but have eternal life. Leave that up, Joey. Listen up, listen up. Shh. Listen. Even in, in something as simple and as beautiful as John 3:16, Because God so loves the world that he made, he gives his son. Why? So that none should perish. God's, God's will, his desire for humanity, for his creation is that none would perish. God's will, his desire is that all would come to repent, that all would know him. This is God's will. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says this. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you. Not wanting any to perish, but all. Everyone say All all to come to repentance what is God's will what is his desire his desire his will is that all would come to repentance and so when we open up and we read about the judgment of God he's not sitting there just angry Mrs. Louie getting ready to pop a basketball anytime you do something wrong but the reality is, is that he does not delight in his people being separated from him. That his desire, his heart, his will is relationship. And this is what we see early on in Genesis 1 and 2, that God makes humanity for relationship. Ever say relationship. He makes mankind for relationship with him and relationship with each other. And sin is the thing that destroys that and breaks that apart. What we see, first of all, when it comes to judgment is that God does not delight in sentencing people away from him for eternity. Number two is this, and this is where I want us to really lean in, is that God is not, everyone say not. God is not indifferent towards sin. Write that down. God is not indifferent towards sin. Let me read you a few passages from scripture to kind of show this clearly, okay. I'm just going to go through these really fast. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says this, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among his brother. The Lord hates. Everyone say, God hates sin. The Lord hates those things. Proverbs 8.13 says this, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Everyone say, hatred of evil. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. What we see in scripture is that God really, really hates sin. Okay. He's not, he's not indifferent towards it. He's not kind of looking at the world and as, as there's wars and as there's abuse and, and sexual immorality and all the things that tear apart our world. He's not sitting up there being like, that's, that's not great, but it's cool. I'm going to let it slide. I'm nice like that. I'm going to let it slide. <laughs> Imagine it like this with me. How many of you guys have ever seen someone you care about or someone you love be mistreated before? Right? Right? Like pro- probably all of us. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's your shoddy. Maybe it's your homie. I don't know who it is. But like you're, you're chilling like with, with someone who you really, really care about. Someone you love. And, and in a moment, all of a sudden, someone starts to mistreat that person. Think about how that makes you feel. Yeah, Julia's ready to square up. She's like, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. I got, got my, my, my fresh peanut butter for protein. I'm going to go square up. I got you. <laughs> like, like, imagine, like, the way that you feel when you watch someone you love, someone you care about, be mistreated. I grew up in an amazing family. I have two older brothers, Pastor Victor and, and my brother Augustine. And then I have an amazing, amazing sister named Michaela. Okay, Michaela is amazing. She, like, inspires me so much. She loves Jesus. A woman of God. Growing up, I, I remember I would always feel so defensive for my sister, especially because if, if you don't know Michaela, a lot of you guys do know her. You probably served with her when you were like seven years old. It's amazing. But like, like if you don't know Michaela, when, when my mom was pregnant with Michaela, the doctors told my mom, hey, she's probably not going to live. If she does, she won't have a good quality of life. She won't be able to walk. Like you should terminate the pregnancy. You should abort her. It could be harmful for you. She's not going to live a good life. Abort her. And my mom, thank God, said, uh, heck no, praise God. And, and so she, she goes and delivers the baby. And, and Michaela is like a 27-year-old woman who, who loves Jesus, serves in kids' ministry. She is amazing. But because of, of some of her specialized needs, one of the things she was born with were two clubbed feet. Okay? And so as she was born with two clubbed feet, she went through a bunch of surgeries to kind of correct them. And so she's able to walk, but the way she walks looks a little bit different. A lot of other people. And, and something that would like invoke just the absolute rage and like protectiveness of like, like little six-year-old me is when we were like walking in a public place and I'm walking with my family and Michaela's there with me and is when, when people as they like would pass her would kind of like make a weird face and look at how she walked. Oh, I, I get mad like thinking about it. Like, like as they like are looking at her it's like it could be like a little kid just like staring like, like they're confused or sometimes it was like it's like a, a grown adult I'm like come on bro like you're, you sh- you you should be more mature but like nothing would make me more mad than, than watching how people would look at her and thinking about how that had to make her feel right. Making her feel like she's, she's weirder. The way that she's made is not okay. All these different things. of The insecurities that would bring up. And so even like six or seven-year-old me, it didn't matter if it was like a little kid, a teenager, like an old person. Like looking at my sister and kind of judging her for the way that she walks. Like I would give him like the death face of like a seven-year-old boy of like... Don't make me come over there. It's like, I was a tiny kid. Like three feet, like three feet tall. I'll come and whoop you. Like, don't you like, mess with my sister. Because I love her, Like because I care about her, when I would see someone mistreat her, I wanted to do something about it. Are you with me? Like, like, be, like, I'm a really chill person. Like, I don't get angry really easily. And, but like, when someone messes with someone I love, like my sister, like, if someone messes with my wife, it's like, Bro, we got problems. Like, we got problems. Like, you mess with me, I'm chilling. Like, I, I'm just going to feel, like, bad for you that, you that you are the way you are. But, like, you mess with someone I love and it's like, I am going to get angry and I want to do something about it. Are you with me? And in, in the same way, at times, a billion, the way that God views us, when he looks at the world he has made and he sees this disgusting disease called sin tearing apart the world he has made, he is not sitting back feeling indifferent. He doesn't have his arms crossed being like, oh, they will be right. it. it's fine. I'll let it slide, I'll let it pass, it's all good. No, when God sees sin, he hates sin. Everyone say, God hates sin. God hates sin. And so when he sees, oh wow, that's a lot. When he sees the thing that causes destruction to the world that he has made, this disease that destroys us from the inside out, he wants to do something About it. And and what we see in this passage in Genesis 6, go ahead and put it up on the screen, uh, Joey, is in Genesis 6, right before God sends a flood to wipe out humanity and creation, other than Noah and his family and two of each animal. This is what Genesis 6 says. Pay attention here. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts. It was only evil continually. Everyone say, only evil. It was only evil continually, verse 6. And the Lord was sorry. If you have your Bible, I want you to underline that. The Lord was sorry that he made humankind on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. If you have your Bible, I want you to underline that too. It grieved him to his heart. In verse 7. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth... The human beings I have created. People together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. What I want to propose to you tonight is this. that What motivates God towards punishment and enacting justice is his compassion. What motivates God towards enacting justice, towards punishment, is actually his compassion. Which, which when you hear that, you might be like, that, that sounds kind of like backwards. Or that doesn't really make sense. But when we look at this passage and we kind of zero in on some of these words. When, whenever you see it here in Genesis 6 when it says, and the Lord was sorry. What this word means in, in the Hebrew comes from this word, nacham. Everyone say nacham. Y'all know I'm always going to make y'all say the Hebrew words with like, the <laughs> yeah, it's great. Like this word, nacham, it means to be sorry. But it also means to be moved with compassion. Shh, listen, listen, listen. To be moved to pity. It's something that that he feels deep down that moves him in sadness and and, and in grief. And what we see here is when it says that God was sorry or maybe your translation says that God regretted it. We have to kind of read this passage in with how we know who God is to be, that he is sovereign, that he's all-knowing. And so what this verse isn't saying is that like God's looking at humanity and he's like, yo, Jesus, Holy Spirit, we messed up. Like, they are a mess down there. Like, we shouldn't have created them. Like that was the dumb idea. Like, no. Like, what, what this means is that, that God obviously knew that humanity was going to fall. This is why in Ephesians 1 it talks about him choosing us and predestining us before the foundation of the world was laid. He knew everything that was going to happen. But when it says that he was sorry, God is moved with grief and compassion when he sees sin. And the reality is because he is moved with grief and compassion, because he sees what is happening to the good world he made. If you read Genesis 3, 4, 5, and the beginning of 6, what you see is violence and murder and death and sexual immorality tearing apart the world that God made. And because God cares for humanity, because God cares for his people and he has compassion on them, what he does is he brings out justice and punishment. Because sin breaks apart our world. And see, I think if you're to be honest with yourself, if we're to be honest with ourselves in this room, like we're glad that's who our God is, right? Imagine a God who says that he is good, but when he looks at like murderers just running rampant and killing people and taking life, or when he looks at like human trafficking, like let's be real, let's talk about issues we see in our world. When he sees like the disgusting industry of pornography, when he sees like sexual immorality breaking apart marriages, like imagine if when when like God sees murderers and and human traffickers, if He were to be like, it's fine, I'll I'll let it slide. They can spend eternal life with me. Like it, it won't actually be good. It won't, and I wouldn't actually be loving. But like I'm gonna just be nice like that. Like, can you imagine if that's who our God was? Think about that. Think about that. If that's who our God was, that he would just kind of turn a blind eye to like the death that's taking place in our world. The wars and the things that are tearing apart nations and tearing apart families. God is grieved when he sees those things, which leads him to do something about it. Are you with me? Are you with me? In the same way that when I see someone mistreating my sister or my wife or someone I care about, it would not be loving of me to be like... Oh, that's fine. They can deal with it. Like they'll, they'll, be aight. They'll shake it off. Like no, no. Because I love them, it moves me to do something about it. But the reality is, is that I think sometimes we we hear that and we can very much so be like, yeah, yeah. God, go go get them, right? Like go go get those filthy murderers and go get those people who who do the worst of the worst. Like go go and deal with them. They're the problem. Maybe like that one kid in my school, too, he's really annoying. I know he hasn't murdered anyone. Get him, too, God. Take care of him. And and sometimes we we forget that you and I, without Jesus, are sinners. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a sinner. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Look at your other neighbor and say, you were a sinner before Jesus. Go ahead, go ahead. (laughs) Friends, hear me, hear me. What is true in scripture is the reality that you and I, without Jesus, are sinners who have no hope. Think about the passage in Romans that says, the wages of sin is what? Yes. Come on, shout it out. The wages of sin is? Yes. The wages of sin is death. Not the wages of like certain sins. Not the wages of, of like for the, the murderers. Or, or for those who, who are like, you know, like carrying out slavery and human trafficking in the world. Like the, the, the thing that they need to pay is death. But if you just kind of struggle with some smaller things like, ah, it's fine. No, no, no. The wages of sin is death. And the reality is that when we open up scripture, we see a very clear picture that you and I will stand before Jesus on his judgment seat. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 10 says this. For we must all, everyone say all, we must all appear, look at your neighbor and say that means you. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or Evil. Look at Romans 14, 10-12. It says, why do you pass judgment on your brother or, or you? Why do you despise your brother? Why are you saying, yeah, yeah, him over there, her over there. Like they're the ones who are messed up and broken. Like they're the problem. God needs to judge them. Why do you despise your brother? For we will all, everyone say all. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Look at Revelation 20 with me one more time. In, in the last few chapters of scripture where we, we've talked about Revelation 21 and 22, when God promises to make all things new and he wipe every tear from our eye, what precedes that is him throwing the enemy, throwing Satan in the eternal lake of torment, the lake of fire for forever. Before that, in Revelation 20, verse 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away. Sounds like an epic scene. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Skip forward Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Friends, hear me tonight. Everyone look at me. I want you guys to hear me clearly on this. You and I, every single one of us, every person that's ever lived, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. With everything we've ever done, good and bad. And we will stand before Jesus and give an account. Now when we read passages like this, it's really easy for our temptation to be like, okay, so what I'm hearing is I need to like get over this addiction and do this better. And like not be mean to my little sibling anymore. Like do all of these things and like I'll earn salvation. No. That is heresy, it's very clear in scripture, Ephesians 2, we are saved by grace. Everyone say, by grace. We are saved by grace, through faith, not by our own works so that no one can boast. Make no mistake, friends, we can only be saved because God has offered us the free gift of salvation through his son, Jesus. When we put our faith in him, we can be saved. That is what salvation is. But but let me kind of caution you. And I want you to listen very closely to me. I say this because I love you and I care about you. If you're someone in this room who you say that you're a Christ follower, that you're a Christian, that you follow Jesus. First of all, if that's, if that's not you in this room, if you're to be honest, I, I, I don't follow Jesus. I'm just kind of here to hang out like with my homies. I'm so glad you're here, first of all. Second of all, I know this is like a very heavy message. It's not always like this heavy. We have a lot of fun. But also we believe in the word of God. So you got to preach it. But I'm glad you're here. But if you're someone here who calls yourself a believer, but it doesn't have any implications for the way you live. It doesn't have any implications for, for who you are, for what you do. If being a believer is just kind of a license to continue on in sin, friend, let me just warn you. You are missing the heart of God for you. You, you are missing the heart of God for you. Because if, if you're kind of calling yourself a believer, a Christ follower, but, but you're also saying like, well, because of grace, like, I can do whatever I want. Like, I, like, like I can just keep on sinning because like God's grace is awesome and so I'm going to just keep doing that. And the reality is, is that when we truly understand the heart of God, we understand that sin is a disease that tears our world apart and it makes God grieve. And makes God grieve and makes his, his compassion come out towards us because he sees how broken his good creation is. And What does he do about it? He sends his son Jesus to deal with sin. To make a way for us to be able to be forgiven. But the reality is, is that if we just kind of take the blood of Jesus, what Hebrews tells us is that if we deliberately keep on sinning and we call ourselves Christians, if we call ourselves those who are saved, what we are doing is we are deliberately trampling, trampling, trampling underfoot the blood of Jesus. That's what the author of Hebrews says. Serious. To take the blood of Jesus lightly is like to trample underfoot the very blood that Jesus shed for you. And so friends, hear me. If you are using... The gospel. If you are using God's grace as a license to continue on sinning, hear me, God's heart is grieving for you. And he wants you to, to walk in, in holiness. He wants you to be sanctified. Not because he's the angry old man who wants you to get your act together. To be a better Christian and stop being mean at your siblings and you better obey your parents and do good in school. Like that's not God's heart towards you. The reason why he wants you to become more like Jesus is so your life can stop being torn apart by sin. So that you can help bring wholeness to the world through the church. Are you with me? Are you with me? I want you guys to hear that. Clearly, Paul answers this. He's asked this hyperbolic question. Shall we keep on sinning so that grace may increase? And Paul says, by no means. Everyone say, by no means. No. By, by no means. We are those who have died to sin, so how can we live in it any longer? Friends, Jesus cares about you so much, and he is not indifferent towards sin because it's a disease that's killing you and killing the world. And so he wants to do something about it. He wants to take it out of you and to make you more like Jesus. Can you say amen? Last thing is this, number three, is that God is grieved by sin. God is grieved by sin. Drew, you can go ahead and bring the lights down a little bit. Pay attention, pay attention. God is grieved by sin. One of my favorite books I've I've read this book called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. It's about the heart of Jesus, his, his disposition towards us as sinners, as those who have no hope without Jesus. And in this book, as he's talking about God's heart towards us and how it's compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love is what God reveals about himself to Moses in Exodus 34. The very thing that he says about himself. Moses comes and he's like, Lord, like, would you reveal to me your glory? Show me who you are. That's what he says about himself. He says, the Lord, the Lord, God, rich in mercy, abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger. And in this book, the author gives this beautiful illustration. He says, imagine, imagine if there was a father who had, who had a beautiful, little daughter who he loved very, very much. A father who has a precious daughter who, who he cares for so much. And throughout this little girl's life, she begins to develop a terrible disease. She begins to develop cancer. And this, this cancer, it, 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 totally, it, it totally changes her. It, it impacts every part of her life and it's destroying her from the inside out. He says, imagine if that father who loves his child were to look at his daughter and be angry at her for struggling with that. Imagine if he were to be angry at his daughter for suffering through this disease. Say, why are you acting different? Why can't you just be better? You're you're costing so much money. You're, You're changing too much of my life. Like, if he was angry towards his daughter. Like, we would look at that type of dad and be like, what is your problem? But the author continues and says, no. What a good father would do is that when he looks at his precious little girl who he loves so much, he would absolutely hate the disease that's inside of her. He would look at that cancer. He would look at that disease and he would hate it with all of his heart. Why? Because it's destroying his little girl who he loves. It's wreaking havoc in her body. It's impacting her and changing her and it's putting her in pain. And because the father loves that daughter so much, he hates the disease. He wants to do something about it. And right any price would be worth it. Any money he'd have to pay, any time he'd have to take, anything he had to do to serve his daughter, to help her become better, he would do. Because he loves her. Friends, hear me tonight. Look at me, look at me. Look at me. So I want you to hear tonight that God is grieved by sin. What we see in Genesis 6 is is the very creation that God made that is good. In Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, God said it's very good. And humanity has perfect relationship with each other. And there's perfect relationship between humanity and God. And all of creation is good. And this disease called sin comes into the picture. and starts tearing apart the world. Relationship by relationship. And friends, when God sees this, he is grieved. And I want you to hear tonight as we talk about judgment, as we talk about even, even the flood, and some things that are, that are heavy and really big is, is it's really easy if you are a Christ follower in this room to, to look at your life and to even maybe think about like giving an account before God and being like filled with shame thinking about all the ways that you fall short, thinking about the amount of times that you fall into sin. It's really easy for the devil's lies to come into that space and say, yeah, you're a failure. Yeah, you're worth nothing. How can you call yourself a Christian? You keep doing this. The devil comes and he speaks lies about who you are. And friends, the reality is, that Jesus loves you so, so much. That because of his compassion, because of his grief, when he sees you struggling, when he sees how sin is ruining you, how sin is tearing you apart or, and tearing the world apart that he has made, he wants to do something about it. Not because he's just easily angered and he's cranky, he's having a bad day. It's because he loves us. And this is what we see in the flood, and this is what we see throughout all of Scripture. Is even in really, really difficult things when God enacts justice and punishment, it's not because He delights in it, He's not happy about it, but He is grieved when He looks at His creation men and women who He has made in His image and His likeness, who He has formed intentionally to know Him, to be with Him. And when sin separates us, He is moved to grief, he's moved with compassion and ultimately the best example that we see in scripture of God's compassion leading him towards justice and and leading him towards wrath is the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen to me, listen, listen. What we see in the cross, what we see in the good news of the gospel. Is that you and I, the wage we deserve to pay, our punishment that we deserve is death because of sin. And what we see is because Jesus cares for us so much and because God wants to deal with sin in his world. And that's why one day when he comes back, all sin and death will be dealt with forever. But Jesus comes onto the scene and he says... Father, I'll take your wrath. I'll take the punishment they deserve. Because I know your heart breaks for them. Because I know your heart is grieved when you see the world you made falling apart. This is what Romans 5 tells us. My favorite passage in all of scripture. Romans 5 verse 6 says this. For while we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love. Everyone say his love. Stay with me. God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, we have right relationship with God by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom We have now received reconciliation. Friends, listen to me. You and I, we were enemies of God because we are sinners. And without God and because we are sinners, we contribute to the brokenness of this world and the fracturing that grieves God's heart. But because God is so rich in love, Jesus comes and he takes on the penalty that you and I He takes on the wrath of God, the judgment and the punishment that you and I deserve. So God can pour out his love and forgiveness on us. St. Bernard, an ancient saint, says this. He says, if God did not love his enemies, he would have no friends at all. If God did not love his enemies, he would have no friends. Friends, because you and I without Jesus are enemies of God. Friends, hear me tonight that we have confidence. I want everyone to look at me, everyone to look at me. I want to be really, really clear about this. That even when we talk about coming before the judgment seat of Christ and, and, and that picture, it can, it can be really easy to start being like really afraid, right? Like like how many of you like as a kid, like when you like heard about Revelation, you were just like terrified. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Like what's gonna happen? But friends, the beautiful news is that we have confidence. Because what Jesus has done for us, what he has accomplished for us by taking on the wrath of God and offering forgiveness, that is final. And the good news that when we stand before God and we give an account for every bad thing we have done, every good thing we have done, the thing that saves us is not looking at Jesus and saying, Lord, I know I struggled and like I, I could have done a lot different. But like, did you see how patient I was with my little sibling? Like, that was pretty good, right? Eternal life? Like, eh? like, no. Like the thing that saves, the thing that, that marks us as his is that Jesus has purchased us. He's bought us. This is what John 6 says. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. John 6, 37. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me. And anyone who comes to me, I will never drive away. Anyone who comes to me, I will never drive away. In, the, in that same book, Gentle and Lowly, the author says this. He says, we cling to him, to Jesus, to be sure. But our grip is that of a two-year-old. Amid the stormy waves of life, his sure grasp never falters. Psalm 63, 8 expresses the double-sided truth. My soul clings to you and your right hand upholds me. One of my favorite quotes from pastors, I reach for my father because I am held by my father. Friends, hear me tonight. God cares for you so much. God is so compassionate that he has made a way for you to be able to have a relationship with him, to be justified. Though you are an enemy of God, he's paid for your sins. So this is what I want us to do. I want you just to stand up right where you're at. Stay quiet. Let's have a few more minutes. As we take some time to worship, I have a few invitations for you guys. There's kind of a lot of different pieces to to tonight. My first invitation to you, the greatest one is simply this, is tonight to simply come to Jesus. To come to him in gratitude, to come to him in repentance. See, God doesn't take sin lightly, but he also knows that you and I, we can never live perfect lives, which is why he calls us to practices of repentance and confession. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to one another, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So maybe for you in this room tonight, as you come to Jesus, maybe maybe first of all, and I think for all of us, the response is simply gratitude. Jesus, thank you for what you have done. I deserve death and and I am a sinner, but because of what you have done, you've poured out your love on me. Maybe also you in this room tonight, you know that you need to repent for some things. That that you've been walking in sin and maybe you've tried to resist temptation to walk in holiness, but but like sin feels like it has a grasp on you. I want us to to take time to pray together. For you to, yes, come to Jesus and, and confess and repent. But also scripture calls us to to confess our sins to one another. So what I want to invite you to do is, if there's something that the Lord is convicting you of, is is to go to a a close friend who you trust. Say, hey, I've been struggling with this and I, I want to confess this. I want this to be out into the light because I want to walk in freedom. I want to walk in holiness. Another invitation I have for you is if you are in this room and when you look at your Life, Like there are so many things being deeply impacted and torn apart because of sin. And I think some people in this room, like you just need someone to grieve with. Like there's difficulty with your family. Maybe there's there's split up, there's divorce happening with with your parents or sibling relationships or just family dynamics are really, really horrible and, and like it's feeling heavy. Maybe at school you're being bullied and and you feel like like really alone there. Whatever's going on, whatever thing you are feeling because of the impact of the sinful world we live in. I want us to take time simply to pray for each other. What that can look like is you grab a friend who you trust. Hey, I'm really struggling with this. This this situation is going on. I feel really alone because of it. You tell them about it and say, will you pray for me? And friends, this is where we get to be the body of Christ and we get to come together. And we get to speak words of truth about who they are in Christ and how God is with them, how he never leaves us or forsakes us. So this is what I want us to do is I want to invite our leaders just to kind of come over to the sides of the room. You don't need to come up, friends. Come to the sides. If you want to pray with a leader, if you want to come and confess something and repent and and have them pray for you in that, come to them. Maybe if if you and and another friend, like, you want to go to a leader together, do it. If there's something where it's just like, you are grieving the brokenness in your life because of sin, hear me. God is grieving with you. God is grieving with you because he cares for you. God is compassionate. So maybe you go to someone, you ask for prayer in that. So we're going to take just a few minutes to do that, and then we're going to go into a song of worship as we respond. So I don't want you talking to your friends, if if you know you'll be easily distracted, if you don't want to pray with anyone, it's okay. I want you to kind of find a space to get alone and come to Jesus and reflect on his goodness. So let's go ahead and do that.